scratching away emotions enamel and re-troubling limpid pools and dreaming what's lost, Delphi, miracles, though know thyself, for there's the oracle, etched in all-seeing stone at the earth's centre, when such a point could be determined, its vapours organic if not kindly. Shall we wish to forget all prophecy, let unforecasted waves break upon our faces, to be followed by the watery sun, which rides without thought to observe itself, and would be blinded if it tried. Hey everyone, welcome back to Solar Scene, the podcast where we imagine a beautiful, sustainable, tactile future. I liked that poem, Aaron. Thank you. I said a few weeks ago I was going to challenge myself to actually start writing ones I liked for the podcast, hmm. so yeah. that's why I did this morning. I've been reading Ovid, as you know, or rereading Ovid's Metamorphoses, and so that poem kind of steals a lot of the imagery from that. In particular, something that I thought was relevant for today's episode is a recurring image in the Metamorphoses of clear pools of water, which are always described in very lovely terms, mm. but in fact almost always spell disaster or tragedy for the for the unfortunate characters. Uh, I see. And all that glitters is not gold, etc. Probably the most famous one of those stories is Narcissus, who was... Um, staring into a pool of water, right. got too close. Exactly, staring at himself. Um, and so I thought that was in some way relevant for today's episode, which is about emotions. And I kind of stretched that to behaviors or personalities mm. that the internet perhaps is provoking in us or is subduing <laughs> in us or is just changing in us in all these various ways. But before we get started on that, if you all like the podcast, you can view us on YouTube. It's kind of dark in here today, so I'm not sure how much of us you can see. <laughs> but we are here, so we're seeing podcasts on YouTube. And also, if you just like listening to the audio, leave a rating, review, or subscribe. Now back to the show. <laughs> so how has the internet changed our emotions? Example one, what we just did there. That's not how we would normally talk. But when you're trying yeah. to plug yourself on the internet, it's kind of awkward. So sure. you use this sort of ironic referencing other <laughs> podcasters. You kind of reference things a lot when you're uncomfortable, I find. Yeah, you do echo things that you've heard before. You lean mm. on you lean on memory rather than mm. having to actually sweat it out yourself. Yeah. But also, so you're talking about being on camera mm -hmm. or being something that will be shared, which is not 100% unique to the internet, right? Because people were filming themselves long before the internet. Yeah. But perhaps today it's almost synonymous because the entry-level way of putting things out is obviously through social media. Mm -hmm. Which is a film or a photo or, yeah, there's no like voice social media. Well, that's kind of what cool. we're doing a little bit. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so how do you think the internet has changed your emotions, Aaron? Anything stand out in particular? Today's two questions, that of emotions and influences, are kind of intertwined in my mind. So mm. rather than making my usual weirdly neat notes, today's is a bit of a brain brainstorm? Brain dump? Brain No, brain dump. What's the name for that thing that they would always encourage us to do in grade like a school. A web. A yeah, brain. a web, a thought web, food web, food chain. Um, so there's just kind of lines and little snakes and little notes all over my notes, all over my pages. But the first one is stoicism slash apathy slash depersonalization or derealization. And the slashes are doing a lot of heavy lifting here because these things aren't actually equivalent. Mm -hmm. But that's kind of what I wanted to draw attention to and in myself, which is the question you asked. I think that 
it's not a coincidence that stoicism has had such a big kind of resurgence, especially among young people in the last decade or so, mm. as a philosophy. But I think part of the danger of this is that the ideology gets corrupted to where we're not sure if we're being stoic or if we're just not feeling things anymore mm. or if we're just not feeling things as ourselves anymore. Yeah, when I was introduced to the concept of stoicism, it really made me die. Like, I dove headfirst into it for a while. Sure. In a way that I don't think any other philosophy has ever, like, captured my attention in the way that stoicism did. 16-year-old Alicia reading Marcus Aurelius. I was, unfortunately, older than 16. Yeah. But still, I was like, oh my goodness, this is so important today, and... Because the internet's so volatile, not toxic, is what I, that's the word I was looking for. It's just like you're scrolling on Facebook and one moment it's like, oh, wow, my best friend had a baby. Yes. Exciting. The next one is like 7,000 people died in a flood. And right. it's just like so volatile. And in a way that I feel like in human history, we haven't experienced. Like I'm sure television has slightly like we kind of rely on that for entertainment in film and even in plays and stuff, you rely on the juxtaposition of emotions to keep people engaged. But it's so personal and so like human. Whereas I feel like if it's on the stage or on a movie screen, you're like, this isn't real. But when you see it on social media, like it is real and it really just kind of brings you on this journey and this ride that isn't really great for your brain, bringing it all back around That's why I feel like for me, stoicism was such an interesting and such an attractive way of being as a way to kind of protect yourself against the barrage of inputs that we get being online and just kind of then being in the world because people kind of reflect that in their conversation style, I find. Of course. Because it's like, I feel like we used to, it's just like you would just talk about normal day-to-day things, but now it's like... You could just be having a normal conversation with someone, then they're going to drop these random bombs about things that have happened in the world that you just were like, I didn't need to hear that almost. So you need this shell to exist in the world of the internet. Yeah, I agree that stoicism has obviously garnered perhaps a new appeal because of the volatility and just the, the omnipresence of the internet. I think perhaps the fact that it was around since ancient Rome, I believe, means that it isn't unique to current times, but very well suited, perhaps. Kind of the point that I wanted to make is that while it might be a useful shell, as you called it, I think to the untrained mind, to the untrained emotions, which all of us are pretty much, especially if you're young, you can just be becoming apathetic and think, wow, I'm so stoic. Mm. Stoicism, I don't think, is really about unfeelingness. It's no, more it's about how you process these things, how you express them especially. Mm-hmm. And apathy is more like, to use your example, oh, 7,000 people died, whatever, whatever. Mm-hmm. It's like that. And derealization, which is maybe a kind of going even further down or, or just a different branch, is something like, oh, this tragedy happened to me, or this really good thing happened to me, but I don't quite feel how I should. Mm. It feels as if I'm observing somebody else's life. And I think this is something that the internet scrolling, social media can really provoke in us Mm. and is maybe a more nuanced and interesting and pervasive but harder to solve issue than that of 
comparison, which people always talk about in social media, which I think mm. is a problem. And I have written down under emotions as, you know, comparison is a thief of joy and social media makes us not really sure whether we should be happy because, wow, that person looks so much happier with their life and their life looks so much better. But I think this derealization aspect where the scrolling kind of separates our, maybe our mind from our body or our mind from mm. our persona or something like this. Yeah, I think that's not talked about a lot. Yeah. And I mean... It's because even, like, it's hard to word. It's, it's, you know. Yeah, but it does, it's happened to me at different points in my life where you get so detached from your own existence. Not necessarily that you're, like, in, like, that the internet becomes super real, but it's just that you're so overwhelmed with the inputs of yeah. news and stuff that you, anything that happens to you just feels insignificant. I don't think it really happens while you are scrolling. I think we kind of practice it inadvertently while we are scrolling. Mm -hmm. We practice this mindlessness yeah and it's not like healthy non-attachment or healthy stoicism it's yeah this yeah unfeeling because especially like with stoicism the point is like unresponsiveness and kind of like you have an intense emotion but instead of like lashing out or instead of being like jumping for joy you're kind yes, of like yes. oh this is really great because like you know like you can just kind of express it in a a more nuanced way instead of constantly swinging between the extremes because yep. it's not great for you and it's funny this is what you wanted to start with because this was my first thought when i was thinking about how the internet has impacted our emotions is that it at once made us numb but it also makes us have these weirdly like animated responses to things perhaps like mm. you can kind of go either way and maybe you start out with these really over the top like hey guys welcome back to my youtube channel energy and then you in kind real of, life, you mean? Yeah, and it okay. kind of can maybe go between those two. Yeah, well, that's the next point I had, which is something about mimicking or echoing. I mean, you know, because you work with children and you see that sometimes they would just straight up, not even just take a line of dialogue from a YouTube video or from a film, but a an, an emote, as I like to say. Yeah. You know, they'll just start reacting to things in the way that they've seen on television, which is not how real humans react. So kind of, I have five points, I guess, stemming off emotions. One of them was that stoicism thing. The next one being activity. And and it's just that I think we feel things when we're doing and living. That's mm -hmm. the healthiest type of emotional type of feeling. That which happens to you in your life is, you know, ideally when you are some kind of actor. Mm -hmm. And I think we, I mean, I love film and I love arts. I love going to a museum. I love going to a cinema. And I know that we... We kind of feel things when you watch a sad film or a happy film. Last night we watched a movie called Moonstruck. And what would you say that evoked in you feeling-wise? <laughs> that movie made me feel... I laughed quite a few times. Right. So joy. Yeah. But it also definitely made me feel icky during certain sure. parts where there was this blurry yes. consent being shown on screen. But we can get into that on our feminism episode. But yeah, it made me feel... Good, it's a but comedy, also yucky. It's a comedy <laughs> and it's a romance. Yeah. So I think the comedy, you say it makes you feel joy, but it's it's a kind of, it's a different kind of joy to that which you feel when you are out and things are happening in your own life. Yeah. Right? Like, because you're watching it on a screen, you know it's not real. So I think the internet, we kind of outsource our emotions akin to if we were just watching movies 24-7 mm. or what I have written down is some kind of emotional voyeurship where... A really easy example is streamers 
who always or reaction channels who always exaggerate their reactions mm. and the person sitting there watching it is never reacting in so animated a way you're just kind of letting them react for you mm. in a weird way so i think yeah that's the way that the internet has changed our emotion in the the lack of activity i suppose yeah that's a really great point that we if you want to feel joy, you just have a kind of go-to funny video and vice versa. If you want to feel sad, you just can kind of yeah, watch a sad movie exactly. or go on a sad story online. And there's a place for that. There's obviously a massive place for art, but there should also be a big place for action. And yeah. I just think the, the balance has swayed quite a lot. That thing is, qu is quite simple, feeling small. I think the global mm -hmm. population of the internet, Twitter being the new town square, mm -hmm. you know, the real town square probably could only fit like 2,000 people twitter can fit like two billion it can lead to nihilism in a lot of people and it just makes you feel like you are only one of billions and as i said the comparison thief of joy thing next one quite pertinent to this week when apple announced their vision pro headset <laughs> i didn't want to mention that too much on this episode but it's the fear of losing moments or losing memories especially because one of the things that you noted as especially dystopian in that feature advertisement trailer was the moment where the the father was sitting down like reliving memories of his children in, <laughs> in 3d which had been captured through the glasses and there's this thing where obviously that's a lovely moment you're playing with your two daughters or whatever and you need to capture it and i don't think we should never capture it you know i think taking photos is fine i, I like taking videos and taking photos but i just think we the internet perhaps we are so characterized by this existential fear of losing emotions. Mm. We need to remember how I felt in this moment, even sometimes when it's bad, which leads to those kind of cringy TikToks of people crying after a breakup. And there's an element of the hoarder here, I think. Yeah, I think so. Rather than instead of stacking newspapers or whatever, we're stacking photos and we're just not really acknowledging that so much of the beauty of life or of, let's say, growing up in this instance is the transience of, of the moment. Yeah, the non-attachment. Again, it's just like we want to be attached to everything and hold on to it. And perhaps because we constantly are seeing these elaborate stories unfolding online, we worry that a moment will pass us by and we won't have, we won't even recognize it. So we then capture things so we can kind of retroactively look back and be like, yeah, that was so wonderful. And it's like, but if it if it passes, it passes sort of thing. Yeah. And I'm not anti-photos or anti-capturing, no. like, but it is, we need to really practice this of just like letting go because I can only imagine the emotional turmoil you would feel if all of a sudden all your photos were deleted. Like everyone's had that moment where their phone breaks and you're kind of like, oh man, that's just like thousands of photos down the toilet or whatever. Mm. The internet has really changed how we perceive other people's emotions in the moment and also just like online because of this constant performance. When someone's like actually feeling sad next to you, you might not recognize it or you might mistake it for something else like as being upset with you or like it's really easy to kind of mistake people's emotions in real life and online because everything's blended in this weird way it's like a new language of emotion that's evolved i read us that's a really good phrase new <laughs> language of emotion yeah yeah i read this study i mean to give people a little bit of hope and they send kids away to a no phone camp for a week mm. 
Mm. And the kids who came back from there could recognize people's emotions much better than they could beforehand. And there was a control group and the control group had no change in how they perceived people's emotions. So it's like there is hope for us. Nature is healing. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, exactly. I mean, just just get off the internet. It's important. (laughs) Uh, Final thing I had was narcissism, which is, you know, quite obvious and I Mm -hmm. think will will blend in or will will lead in quite nicely to the next part of the episode. Yeah, I have just like one or two more points on emotions and the internet. It's not necessarily how the internet has changed our emotions, but how it pries on them. Like that is the most valuable resource for social media platforms and even just like marketers online is capturing your emotions. Like, I mean, we'll go back to TV as an example, but you remember when like commercials would trend? You'd be like, did you see that new Volvo commercial? Oh, it made me cry or whatever. Like people kind of having these really visceral reactions to advertisements. And it's like, you do realize they're trying to sell you something. Therefore, if you have an emotional response to their advertising, you're going to remember them much more than if you just like, it was a cool logo or whatever, which didn't evoke a response. And it's just like the most valuable because if you're feeling a bunch of joy while you're online, you're going to keep scrolling and therefore make more purchases. But it's like kind of the same with any emotion. It's like, because they're all addictive in one way or another. So I just wanted to touch on that to remind people that you're very, like your emotions are a resource that other people can kind of exploit, which is like true with like interpersonal relationships, but it's less likely to be exploited than it is online where it is very likely to be exploited. And my final point was that the digital space kind of limits our emotions to a certain set so, for example, Facebook has six reactions. It used to be just oh, yeah. like and dislike, but now it's about those. six different like care, anger, disgust, whatever. Flame? It's Is like one of those? probably it's like the Pixar movie. Um, it's like, but in reality, we have many more emotions than just those six. But it almost ma- forces us to distill our feelings down into just like one or the other. And it's like, are you mad or are you excited? And it's like, there is another option. It's like, you're just neutral or whatever. Yeah, I mean, it's funny you reference Inside Out because that was the whole premise of that film was someone going through adolescence and kind of learning that you can be somewhere in between or more than one at once. Yeah. I have adolescence just written down in a disembodied bubble in my notes because I think it's somewhere between emotions and influences. It just feels like a very teenage topic. And it reminded me of the first time I met someone who was in their mid-twenties on TikTok. And I just thought, what is, what's going on here? Yeah, this is a place for kids <laughs> no to be like... No offense to anybody listening. <laughs> to most people listening. You probably should reach a point in your life where you're, you're not... Not that you're not curious, but that you're not, like, edgy anymore, just for the sake of being edgy. Who's your favorite influencer? I'm going to answer this with the meme of the week. Okay. I'm also going to try and mime it. So you have to try and guess what the meme is slash who the influencer is. Okay? I think I already have a guess. Oh, Arthur. Yeah, I was doing the fist. Yeah. It's the Arthur fist meme. I loved Arthur as a child. <laughs> I was thinking Solo Scene recommends this week. Arthur. Go watch an episode. Yeah. Feels like a healthy thing to show your children. Not too much though. Otherwise they might start acting like DW, DW which this episode actually references because do you know what the source of the fist is i think it's dw acting up and arthur's trying to contain his rage exactly because is it called anger management or did i make that up the episode yeah the episode is called (laughs) arthur's big hit it aired the same year we were born 1999 oh nice and this still 
for people who don't know, it's just a, a real close-up of Arthur's fist <laughs> by his Arthur side. Arthur being an aardvark, an animated aardvark, correct? Yeah. Moments before he punches EW. <laughs> that was the big hit. Because she broke his model airplane. Yeah. Been so those there. two were always going at it. And actually, when I say that Arthur was my influencer, I'm not too sure about that. <laughs> I feel like I am a bit more of a DW or even a Binky. I always loved Binky. You're more of a mischief if you, maker. If you know, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So a like DW type. But I also have Buster's hunger. So <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Is. It's funny. So this meme originated on Twitter in 2016. And for once, the caption actually kind of sums it up everything that i was going to say so the caption for the first meme wasn't really a meme it just said this is just a pic of arthur's fist but idk i don't know how i feel that it's just so relatable so many emotions in one fist Mm. but the primary emotion here is i don't even think it's rage or anger i think it's something that goes beyond that or maybe somewhere different which is pure frustration yeah frustration the rage maybe is the hit yeah but that's not what went viral what went viral is the, mm. the containment in the fist. Yeah, so I thought there was something to this idea of a bunch of, as I said, 20-somethings or 30-somethings on the internet kind of manifesting their collective frustration through a, a childhood reference. There was, something, there was something to that. Yeah, like frustration of emerges when something like it's a pattern of being dis... Pattern, yeah. Not being disproven, but being... Um, let down like that's what frustration is so it's like dw has done so many bad things to arthur over the year and he you want her to have learned the lesson then you get frustrated when it's like the hundredth time and she hasn't learned the lesson then that can manifest as for me often sadness and tears but for some people rage or for other people it might just be like apathy and withdrawal notice also the year this image was posted on twitter which was 2016 as we frequently say say when things went wrong (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, I really think it's about the the lack of an outlet. That's what makes this meme so relatable. Because mm, so it's not the picture of him punching. That's what I said, it's, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah, okay. The squeezing of the fist. And it reminds me a little bit of scream rooms, mm. how, how popular those are. It's just like, wouldn't it be nice to go to a place Let's let it to all scream out. or break a, break a plate? Wouldn't yeah. that be nice? Or throw a pillow on the floor, as as you would do in your rage <laughs> yeah i yeah i never thought about it like i don't know what i thought it meant but i never realized yeah it's just like the it's the containment it's the repression complete it's the i have no mouth but i must scream that's mm. what this this meme is yeah it's an important meme and how does it relate to influencers i don't, I don't know it's how it makes me feel sometimes sure i'm like you've learned you should have learned the lesson by now that you should stop posting your diet plan online do you have a, a favorite influencer Probably. I really like Hitomi. I've talked about oh, yeah. her like a million times. Hitomi's. Um <laughs> Yeah, she's probably one of my favorites. I what's her name? There's another girl that I recently rediscovered and really liked her video. She did a video on anti capitalist influencers, which she would consider herself one of. Kristen Leo, that's her her name. Always first in the middle, never first and last. Um <laughs> But she's really good, too. So she might be my actual favorite, my soul scene recommends in terms of influencers, because she's very anti-capitalist, anti-waste, she slow living, beauty art. Like, she's pretty cool. My soul scene recommends influencer is Binky Barnes from the Arthur series. I wrote down the two definitions of influencer, because I thought it was quite a good jumping off point. One is a person who inspires or guides the actions of others. 
And the other more modern one is a person who is able to generate interest in something such as a consumer product by posting about it on social media. And so that one is obviously a bit more of a where to use these people to extract money. But it also reminds me of the shift between celebrities in general, where it went from famous for doing something to famous just for being famous. That's what influencer reminds me of. So the first note I had for this, which really was just a list of ways a solo scene can pretty much do away with influencers or minimize them, is to rename them. Rename them. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And I think just renaming them models is the most accurate thing. Mm. Because most influencers, using that second definition, the people who sell things to you on social media, are attractive. Yeah. And that's why companies use them, companies pay them to sell their products, mm. which in most other industries is just called modeling. Yeah. So I think that's what... If we rename them that, then it kind of more accurately defines what the process is mm. which is that it's not really influencing much beyond looks in a lot of cases or consumer behaviors i.e they are modeling yeah it reminds me of animal crossing and how there's like each of the different animals on the island kind of have their aesthetic like there's the sporty one there's the one that likes flowers the one that likes hearts and it's like you would never want your life to just be like everything has a heart on it but you kind of look at all of these different models on Animal Crossing and their homes and you pick and choose from yeah, their exactly. set of furniture and the things they're selling you and the lifestyle they're setting, selling you. And you curate your own as a conglomeration of all of these things that you've kind of curated. Mm -hmm. Whereas sometimes with these influencers online, we think I need exactly their life. But that's not what they're trying to do. They're trying to give you an example of like a kind of pure, this is what it's like if you only eat green leaves. I'm not saying you should only eat green leaves. I'm saying take a lesson from this and maybe apply it to your your well-rounded life. Yeah. The other thing I don't like about calling them capital I influencers, and I think they'd be better termed as models. Most of them are models. Some of them are other things. Like some of them are primarily entrepreneurs. Yeah. Like someone like Elon Musk is, to use the first definition, an influencer, has a very big influence, but it's a secondary trait or benefit as opposed to the thing that he was good at which would differs if you ask different people but it, making money is, is quite obviously one or the kardashians it's like they are influencers but the thing that they were good at really is beauty i suppose yeah so it's like models yeah. or someone like ronaldo it's like he's an influencer on social media probably using both definitions but there was a thing that he was good at first mm. which was which was football so i think yeah, treating influence like a secondary benefit rather than something to which everybody should just strive without actually providing anything uh, to society is a is a key thing. So yeah. I think in the Solacean society, getting rid of them or or greatly reducing their number, because I don't think models will ever be will ever stop being a, an object of fascination, yeah. even if we kind of decrease the social media narcissism and vanity, just because beauty will always fascinate us. But it shouldn't be kind of the sole the sole object of our fascination. Yeah. So I think, yeah, just making people want to be good at things other than looking nice. Yeah, and another part of that is shifting and away from like the thing they're influencing us is basically what to buy nine times out of ten. Yeah. It's often what to think as well, but it's like I feel like a lot of times the influence is what should I buy or maybe just buying things that you didn't even need. 
Whereas it perhaps used to be political or religious influence. Like the biggest influencers would be like Martin Luther King. These people who were like reforming the world and reforming the religion and reforming politics. Whereas now it's like the biggest leaders are like, well, you should probably get better help or whatever. Just like trying to sell you something. So in the solo scene, I'm not, I think it'd be a bit more cool if they were idea peddlers versus right. product like peddlers. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, that's that's a, an interesting type of influencer because there's the the boring one, the boring basic one, which won't really exist in the solo scene of the person posing in a bikini on Instagram to sell the bikini. Yeah. But then you have the Hitomis who are more selling, selling in operative words because I don't know if she profits off of it really, a lifestyle of cleanliness wholesomeness you know ostensibly good things she's modeling those things mm-hmm. in other words yeah so, yeah there's something to that are we influencers or will we be probably oh well we want to try and yeah i think so but we'll always be peddling in the ideas less the products yeah but here's the thing though it's like you never want influencer to be your your title your, your title, title on wikipedia yeah it's more like they are podcasters or yeah. they are chefs <laughs> if we ever release a cake line yeah <laughs> okay on the topic of influencers the thing that got me thinking about them in the first place was how the job title or like the lifestyle of an influencer is so alluring to a lot of people like there was that study in america that it was like seven out of ten kids and they wanted to be a youtuber or whatever mm-hmm. and are youtubers influencers i think so so hitomi yes yeah what about someone like dashy games someone who I just plays video are. games you think they're influencers i think everybody who has a following is an influencer well yeah i guess well okay sorry um yeah. yeah but the reason that i think this is so attractive to so many people is because one it gives you freedom and it's kind of the only way to feel value in your life and how to also promote your art so i think a lot of people who have an artistic inclination tend to gravitate towards this type of a job yeah, because course. it's kind of it used to be like oh if you have an artistic inclination you can kind of express it in a lot of different ways like you could be like a lot more tactile ways of mm. like woodworking or working in a bakery or working in a restaurant because there was kind of an outlet for that there but now because everything's so standardized there's not an outlet for any kind of artistic personality trait i actually don't know how much of a new phenomenon that is kids wanting something like that yeah. It reminds me of just everyone for the last century saying, can't wait till I'm retired. Then I'll be free to golf or paint or do whatever mm-hmm. I want. It's just that kids our age and younger have kind of woken up to, why wouldn't I want that my whole life rather than first spending 50 years in an office? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And it's like, because we have people modeling that it's completely doable from the get-go, exactly. that it's much more easy. One other thing I want to talk about in influencers is that they... As a job, it's not as alluring as it may seem because, like, you're not unionized. You're not don't have any like benefits, <laughs> oh, and you can be like just exploited by these platforms. And especially, I mean, I'll highly recommend this video from Christian. From Christian, I'm playing Leo. a tiny violin for people. Who but it's watching. like there's also just like if you want to disseminate information like us about kind of an alternative lifestyle to the the standard one or one that will perhaps bring more joy and more well-being is like you still have to use these platforms that you have like no control over like we have no control over if soundcloud invests in like 
hate crimes or whatever. <laughs> but like we still kind of have to rely on them. It's the same with people on YouTube and whatever. So it's kind of, I don't know. Just wanted to point that out, that it's not necessarily all perfect. And then the other thing is that this is unrelated to that, but I feel like influencers in their current manifestation really push like the power of needing something at that moment because whenever an influencer is doing a promo or whatever, it's like use this code, you have two hours to use it or else you're never going to be able to get this discount again. Yeah. But I think as consumers, we need to kind of release the the desire to have things immediately and just like accept the things that like things will come to you. And it's not just influencers, but it's kind of the whole online ecosystem of like the IKEA website or whatever of just like, I need this now. It's easy. Like it'll just come to me in a box and it'll yeah. be perfect. But it's like if we release the idea, like kind of when we moved into our apartment, we were like, things will come to us. We're not going to buy everything unless it's completely necessary. And things do come to you in time. So you we might didn't just have a couch for for months. For months, yeah. But now we have a couch that we adore, and we're like, we'll probably have this the rest of our lives or until it falls apart. Right. So it's like it's a hard mindset to get into because you're sitting on the floor for six months. But it's like the reason that we sometimes jump to these sales and jump to these like Ikea options is economic of like it's the cheapest option. I guess I have to do it. Like we've done that. We bought kind of garbage chairs for our, for our island, but they fell apart within like a few months. But it's like if you kind of release the expectation of needing things immediately, you can maybe like find chairs on the side of the road or find them for free on Facebook Marketplace. I don't know. Yeah, I have written down here. And so it's, you know, obviously being less materialistic and also smarter purchases mm-hmm. will mean that we are essentially less swayed by the models of the thing. Yeah. So it's less like, oh, I like that person's singing voice. I want her shampoo. You know, it doesn't make <laughs> yeah. any sense. So it's also that thing about celebrities as idols, celebrity worship, which is a very weird and awful thing that in the solo scene won't really be the case. I'm reminded of the the famous or infamous quotes about lady gaga i like some of the gaga songs but what does she know about cameras when she was made like a polaroid spokesperson yeah so or, or creative director <laughs> yeah so exactly that's, that's a very strange thing so I, I kind of had three gets in terms of um directives for the solo scene reducing idolatry i suppose of celebrities or influencers one is get off internet get off internet the okay. next is get some self-respect because I think also the the case, let's be real, with the influencers, as I say, they're models. It's like, why are you just following people because they look nice? You know, mm-hmm. like get some self-respect, in other words. Go outside. And that's why the third thing is get some real friends. Because the person who you perhaps might be a healthier relationship when they are trying to influence you on financial matters, philosophical matters, religious matters, social matters, political matters might just be your cool uncle or neighbor. Yeah. You know, there's something to that. There's something to the fact that I know it's easier and it can seem more of a lucrative thing to go online and just listen to a famous political pundit and Mm -hmm. have that be your influencer. But maybe it's healthier to just, not just because it's a harder thing, but to, to forge a real relationship with somebody. So this gets also into the parasocialness. Yeah, and when your uncle or neighbor are recommending these things to you, you kind of 
you know a lot more about them, so you might know their bias. But when you consume opinions online, you don't necessarily know the person's bias, their history, what they're pushing, who's sponsoring them. Because, I mean, increasingly there's more transparency with saying if something's an ad, but it's still not completely transparent. There's no rules on podcasting, for example, to say if your guest is being paid to be there or paying you to be there. Like, Like, you don't know. Yeah. (laughs) So, like, you don't know. And it's, you can kind of, it really prides on our desire to have relationships with humans and, like, our trustworthiness of other people. And it's quite exploitative. I mean, I think I've probably told this a hundred times, but in business school, it was told, like, this is a really great way to get people to buy your product is exploiting the fact that they will always trust personal recommendations above, like, corporate marketing. In a way, I just don't feel much sympathy for any adult who falls for that kind of thing. But in the solo scene, I know we will be properly training children, media literacy, etc. Do we have any fun thing that we can close the episode out? A Hmm. joke, perhaps? We already had Solo Scene recommends, but do we have any like joke that we can leave them, leave them laughing, send them away laughing? No. I have one, I think. I heard it this week, and I will probably butcher it. I didn't think about it before the episode starts. So it's, why did the Scarecrow get an award? Why? Because it was outstanding in its field. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye.